the one pushback you'll have is like, yeah, it's important, but not now. And the important, but not now, even if you know it's core for their KPIs comes from, dude, I have so many things I need to deal with right now. So we basically fed them. We had a few slides of like, this is what you're going to do tomorrow morning, Mr. Sales Leader, Mrs. Sales Leader, right? Welcome to the Revenue Rebels podcast brought to you by Warmly. On this show, we cut straight through the fluff and dive deep into the specific tactics that B2B revenue leaders across sales and marketing are using to find success in today's environment. I'm your host, Alan Zhao. All right, today we have here Adir Ben-Yahuda. So Adir was the head of revenue at Walnut, a sales tech company doing interactive product demos, and they've grown tremendously in the past few years. I got to meet Adir when they first started off, also an NFX portfolio company. And today we're going to be talking about sales process optimization and narrative building. Adir, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's exciting. Yeah, we know each other for quite a while now, right? I'm, I'm happy to finally have like a real talk here. <laughs> That's crazy. Adir's been so busy, like I can barely get a hold of this guy. Let's start off by talking a little bit about your background and then we can just jump right into the topics. Yeah. So I've, I've been in sales capacity, revenue capacity in startup companies for the last 15 years. The main difference when you go into those capacities working in these companies, I usually was the first employee on the revenue side, sometimes even the first employee in the company. And that's what I've been doing in the, in the last 15 years, taking companies from $0 in revenue and increasing them in, in sometimes in double digits to the millions. Let's jump right into sales optimization. What's your process? How do you think about it? What are some things that sales leaders should be wary of when they're considering how to optimize their process? So I think the first rule is don't lie to yourself. Sometimes when you go ahead and you look at like things like, I think it might work. I think it's okay. I'll tell you what, if it doesn't work, it won't work, right? So don't lie for your, to yourself. And once you start like looking at the process itself, if there are things that are clunky, if things are not working, they're probably not going to change yourself. In 30 days from now, they're not going to work. You need to tackle them. I, I know it's kind of like a, an overarching rule, but I was talking to a lot of sales leaders and some of them said, hey, yes, but I believe or I hope. Well, I'm a believer outside of work, but I, but I think like believe and hope uh, are, are has no place. Like pragmatic, being pragmatic is more important than what we do. That's the first thing. Second thing is when you look at like your overall process itself, I kind of try to dissect it in three different levels, right? Uh, top of funnel, mid funnel optimization, and then like the, the last part of it, the negotiation, the last mile of it, right? Of, of what's going on in the process itself. And once you look at everything, look, everyone probably remembers this from school, right? The Maslow pyramid of needs. When you're a human being, you need to have your security first to feel confidence. Only then you can go out, grow up in the, in the pyramid of needs and buy your Gucci bag, right? It's not there, but like you get the point. Um, and when you look at those kind of things, you all of a sudden understand when you look at the process, like what's missing very, very quickly. And most people will realize that the first thing they're missing in order to actually build a process or a sales process is putting the fuel in, like the basic need, getting the pipeline in, right? So that's the first part we're, we're looking for. Uh, but having this bird's eye view on the processes itself will be helpful. And as you grow mature as a company, and you, again, you don't lie to yourself about what's working and not working, you'll see you'll start moving a little bit further downstream and start fixing, okay, now I need to have my sales reps recorded on calls to get better. Oftentimes I talk with a lot of like entrepreneurs and I talk with a lot of sales leader. And when they look at those kind of things, they tell me, yeah, we just bought Gong or a call recording tool, right? Like Gong is a great tool, but a call recording tool. And I'm saying, why now? 
like let's talk about your pipeline. Like it's not going to help you record your sellers if they have like three sales calls a quarter or a month. <laughs> like l- let's figure out how we deal with the pipeline and then we can deal with the rest. I love that take. I think a lot of sales leaders come in with, I have this vision of what I want to build. We're going to get gone. We're going to get outreach. We're going to have this process. We'll have inside reps and let's just build it all first. And you'll see the score will settle itself. But you're taking a different approach, which is let's just get the, the frameworks, the legs, the shacks up, and then we'll optimize from there. But let's, let's not get ahead of ourselves. How about when you come into a new company? What are the steps that you take? Like, do you set up top of funnel first? Do you diagnose situation? You said you had this bird's eye view. If you were a new sales leader joining a company, how would you start off your first 30, 60, 90 days? Yeah, so I think the first 30 days is, there is a critical thing here. You need to be a sponge, right? Like I've heard this term before and you know, sponge just takes and takes and takes and and that's the goal. So the first 30 days is, I think, being humble, coming in, learning what's going on, especially when you come into a, a startup company, an early stage company, learn the vision of the founder, right? Understand what the founder wanted to build. It might be right, might be wrong. It might be a pipe. It doesn't matter, but understand, be a sponge. But go ahead and try to observe as many interactions with clients you have, whether it's from call recording, but I'm a big fan of emails, right? Because when you see back and forth in emails, especially rejection emails, you can mm-hmm. kind of hear the music of why, why people didn't want to move forward after a process, right? So that's what I would do in the first 30 days and analyze it. Like before, again, this is a different approach. I'm very much like, crawl, walk, run in that approach. And I think the running can be very fast when you, once you do the crawl the right way. First 30 days, be a sponge. Learn every department. Talk with the current clients. Understand why prospects are not buying more than why they are buying, right? Learn the product in, in, to, to a T and learn the vision of the company. And then the next, the following 30 days, meaning the 60 days in, start building the output, right? Start disrupting a little bit more in, in different stages. And again, I'm a big believer in like building the first building block. So the first thing I would do, if I go inside a company, I, after the first 30 days, I would probably debate the ICP. I would start asking questions, why is it the ICP we're selling to, right? Because before I'm going to go and build like an outbound motion or an inbound motion, and I'm going to optimize my medic and do all those great stuff, I want to understand that I'm doing it to the right ICP. Maybe the ICP is the wrong ICP, right? Uh, so that's the first thing I would do. And then what, once you guys would do that, once you start zoning in the ICP, you'll see the sales conversation also changing. You'll see the sales conversation changing because the conversation wouldn't be around, hey, I tried to push or, hey, I tried to move the needle there. It will be, yes, they had a problem, but our product is falling short. Yes, they had a problem, but the, but we didn't position in position the solution right. It's a different conversation. Don't manufacture manufacture the pain. Try to resolve the pain, and then the, the conversation would be different. That's the first, and, and in the first sixty days, also at the end of the first sixty days, I will try to be in a place that I have an ICP ready. I'm building the right messaging towards this ICP, right, and start to craft it around him. Um, and if, if it's the same ICP we started with, the better, but then I want to understand what are the things that made the, the ICP move and kind of like put them out there and start building my first album motion. The reason I want to do this is I want to see if it actually works and then start changing the narrative and the pitch for my sales team to see if it actually works. Now, remember, in the back of your head, you need to have this like, everything is like out, out, out for debate. Like, this is my hunch. 
But like, I'm not, the only thing that will guide me is the numbers, right? I'm not in love with the idea of me saying those kind of things. I'm in love with the numbers showing me movement. In the last 90 days, you can go all, all out to offense. By now, if you did the thing right, you're probably selling to the ICP you had a gut feeling. You see results at top of final, you see results in mid-final. Now you start looking at like, great, this is great. How can I start optimizing different things? Can I scale my outbound motion? Can I have my setters go a little bit more aggressive? I, I just did like the recent thing is like, can I increase my pricing all of a sudden, right? I'm selling to the right ICP. My messaging is a little bit more sexier. Let's increase the pricing for 10, 15%. Let's see if it, uh, if it hits and let's see why it's not. Like maybe I'm too expensive. I can go back to product or I can go back to me messaging. But at, at the end of those 90 days, you should have a, quite, a, quite an operating machine uh, that you can see. And again, three buckets, each steps of the way, where it fails, why it fails, and then start optimizing on it. No, I really like that. It's like the sales Maslow's hierarchy of leads. If you don't have the right ICP, then everything downstream doesn't really work out. Can we talk a little bit more about how you know if you found the right ICP? What's the process? And maybe tell a story about what it was like at Walnut. So I think there are two things, right? You need to... Uh, <laughs> I'll go back to the first like the thing. Don't lie to yourself, right? Oftentimes, especially in early stage companies, you have a vision, you believe in the vision, you go to people, they tell you no. And you say, they don't know, I know. Right? No. If people tell you no, if prospects tell you no, you need to ask yourself, what am I doing wrong? That's the first rule. Um, and, and then kind of try to, to change it. It, it. And it's okay. It's hard, uh, but, it, but it's very important. And for example, at Walnut at the beginning, when we started talking about demos and uh, like three years ago, 2020, the people who owned demos were pre-sale engineers, right? And we started talking with pre-sale engineers. And they basically told us, ah, it's not accurate for our product. It's not exactly that. They started asking all those annoying questions. And we quickly realized, like, this is not our ICP. I know demo is, like, around solution engineers, but this is definitely not our ICP. Our competitors still, like, trigger them or try to target them and, like, talk with them. But we decided to avoid them completely because we quickly realized they are not the right ICP for us, right? Um, and then, and the reason we knew this is not because we were smart. We heard them. They told us no. And they gave us like a very clear explanation on why no. And we kind of like try to build a different messaging around this, right? We kind of like build a messaging that demo is being democratized. Demo is no longer just for solution engineer. And essentially we created a demand in the ICP we actually wanted to have, which is sellers, sales leaders, right? They wanted to like take control of this. That's the first thing I think we, we kind of we kind of did. And you can quickly see how the reaction from the other side when you sell to Brian ICP is like, yes, this is interesting for me. This is something that I need. I have an urgent need for this. It's like top top three on my list. Now convince me you can actually deliver. Different conversation. Solution engineers, we talked with them. They said, no, this is not something I need at all. You're not important. Sales leaders said, yes, this is something I need, but you have to convince me you can deliver on it. And then you put the, the entire weight on, okay, how good is my product? How good is my sales pitch? How good is my marketing? And, and that's how you essentially can build a company and can build a go-to-market solution. Oh, I really like that, actually. It's uh, the sales engineer, they were a stakeholder because they ended up having to use it. But the sales leader actually had the core problem that you needed to solve. You talked about creating demand with that 
buyer or ICP type? How did you do that? So we, we, had, we had two things that we worked on. We had great marketing side of things and the marketing started talking or removed uh, all the side of solution engineers and started talking about like how the world is changing. And if you guys all remember, like uh, we are prospects kind of movement, those kind of things, we basically told the world, hey, the world is changing. Demos shouldn't be owned by solution engineers. They should be dem- democratized. And you guys need to start looking at this as a company, right? Or, or as a sales leader for that matter. The other thing we did is basically in, in the pitch that we, we, we invested a lot, not just on the marketing side of things, but in how you change management in the organization. Mm-hmm. You'll see oftentimes when you sell a new technology or when you sell a new product, the one, the one pushback you'll have is like, yeah, it's important, but not now. And the important, but not now, even if you know it's core for their KPIs, comes from, dude, I have so many things I need to deal with right now. I can deal with the change management, right? So we basically fed them. We had a few slides of like, this is what you're going to do tomorrow morning, Mr. Sales Leader, Mrs. Sales Leader, right? It's like, you're going to wake up, you're going to do X, Y, and Z, and that's how you get activated. And we basically reduce the, the barrier of, of activation and the barrier of acting for those individuals. By doing that, we were able to create like, not just create the demand, but create the action. Someone once told me, it's like being in sales is the easiest job in the world. It's like, all you need to do is convince a human being to take action on a specific thing you want. That's all you need to do. Sounds very simple, right? But it's like, this sentence is like, someone told me this like 20 years ago when I started my sales career. It's like, just convince a person to do, take action from A to B. And I keep thinking about it as I progress in my career. And the same thing, we apply the wall. And I'm like, cool. They know they need it, but I sense a great pushback on like change management. Think about it. They need to go and talk with solution engineer now that they're taking demos. They need to talk with marketing to help them build that maybe product marketing. Now they need to have convinced their team to start doing this. So many things, but they know they need it. So I thought about it. Oh, how can I move them from A to B? I build essentially a change management plan for them and fed them on what they need to do. It created a trend, which was a tremendous success for us because we basically finalized the entire process in a few sales. Okay, this is an incredible point. Probably one of the biggest objections isn't necessarily that it's too expensive. I don't need it. It's always not right now. I have too many things on my plate. And this is a really great framework to try to combat that, this change management process. Can we dive a little bit deeper into exactly what you did? How did you find the right messaging? How did you distribute it? What were the channels? What did SDRs do every day? Yeah. So you, you started from the end, and I think that's the beginning, right? What we did is we had a couple of SDRs, and basically we built two messagings around those kind of things. We had two hypotheses around what, what we want to do and how we want to achieve it, right? And we said, okay, we want to talk with um, sales leaders, and we want to talk with marketing people. SDRs build two different campaigns and see what, in, which, in which place we have the better reaction, right? And then essentially we build two parallel lanes in, inside the companies with kind of two small parallel teams. And we had a different pitch for each and every one of them. We just started measuring and we started seeing that the, the messaging for salespeople had like resonated more, had higher open rate, higher conver- conversion. And also the sales cycle was faster with higher ACV, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like, Think about it. Everyone that has like two SDRs in his organization or even by yourself, you can do that and you can build like, you know, this like small science lab when you start testing those kind of things. That's the first thing we did. As we progress and we needed to scale a little bit more, we started generating different types of messaging for sellers. And we had seller group A, seller group B. And we told them, you go and talk, hone in on this specific messaging, which would be like a bit more tactical 
the, the, the other ones needed to talk a little bit more strategic. We found something very interesting. The win rate was quite the same. The sell cycle for the more tactical uh, side of things, like talking specifically about how you build a demo embedded on the website, things like this, and more tactical, less strategic vision. The sell cycle was faster, but the ACV was low. And when we looked at the strategic sale, the, the sell cycle was a little bit longer because like, oh, I'm going to change a lot of things in my organization. I'm going to change my perception in the organization. So it took a couple of weeks more to close the deal, sometimes even up to 30 days more. But the ACV was like around 30% higher from that perspective. So we kind of like had this like map and said, okay, what are we going to do now? How are we going to sell it? And essentially we ended up with like one aspect of a more transactional sale with lower ACV, but quicker, higher rate. And we had another aspect of like more strategic consultative sale, right? It takes a little bit more time, but at the end of the day, our, the, the deal value was way higher for us, right? Um, and, and we kind of ended up like trying to take, uh, it was like in retrospective, we should have done this differently, but we kind of ended up trying to like uh, eat the cake and leave it whole, right? And say, okay, we'll build two teams um, to, to go around those kind of things. And we quickly realized that like, it impacts a lot of product and product roadmap. So, you know, it's like go to marketing. It's like, no, I don't really need a product. <laughs> so, uh, it's classic, like, what are you talking about? Uh, but we quickly realized the product can't support those two motions. And we kind of decided to go more up market. Also, the economy kind of changed and kind of hone in the more consultative sale of higher ACVs. That's really cool. So you kind of bifurcated your team. Your SDRs were like growth marketers, just focusing on this core ICP, this core use case, this core tactic of convincing. That's an interesting way to test it. And then you decided to cut one leg and focus on the other. Yeah, that was the goal. So the next topic is about narrative building. I think we went over this a little bit and how you come up with the story, but is there a process, anything in addition to add, about how you come up with the right story to tell? I think it, it depends on what size of the company, but a lot of times sales leaders, right? They're kind of like, oh, I'm a sales leader in the organization. I'm going to stay behind the scenes. I have my sellers. The first thing I did is kind of like while building the narrative, right? I was I was in the front. I was telling the story. I was talking about things, right? It's like, there, it's, with all due respect to call recordings and I have a lot of respect to it, like it's a different thing when you sit in front of your prospect and talking and talk about those kind of things, right? And oftentimes that's what I did. I just spend a lot of time from just doing cold outreach and sales leader as a revenue leader in the organization to see how people react all the way down. And once once I start seeing those kind of things, I started understanding, I started analyzing when you build a narrative, what what reactions you get from different places, but also, and that's like the, the point that I touched before, what makes people move faster? What pay, makes people move to a specific direction, right? So when you look at Walnut, the narrative of like, and, and I still remember the day we started talking about like, hey, how can we improve the seller? And And, and I decided like, I'm going to have a different topic. I'm going to talk about a different topic because I feel everyone is talking about it, right? It's also a very important thing when you build a narrative. Everyone is talking about this, like I want to be a little bit more disruptive. And I said, hey, you know, I've seen a lot of sales technologies in my life. No one is talking about the buyer. Like literally, I'm like, it's insane, right? Like 50%, maybe 60% of the transaction is the buyer. It's not the seller. Even 70, if you look at Gartner. And nobody's talking about how they optimize their experience. That's crazy. Um, and then we started like testing this out with different kind of prospects that we have. And I'm like, hey, we're not a sales tool. We're a prospect tool. And I'm like, okay, that's that's strange. Let's talk about that. 
Um, and, and I kind of start surfacing those kind of things. Had marketing helping me out with how we can position it. And that's how we started building the narrative at Walnut. These kind of things, right? It's like all of a sudden we, we became like, we are impacting the buying process. We're impacting your buyers, your prospect. Millennials want to buy their way, right? And if you think about it, we were a sales tool. So Walnut is a sales tool. It helps sellers, but we never talk about them. And that's how you can build a good narrative. You don't necessarily, when you approach the narrative, you don't necessarily need to think about what your product is doing and who you want to sell into. You need to think about the residual impact or the bigger impact of your product. And then you can build a very strong narrative about it. I really like that. In a red ocean where everyone's talking about the same thing, you can't be 10% better, 5% cheaper, 60% more well-known. You have to be different. Yeah. And, and I think, by the way, everything you mentioned is a good approach if you want to build like um, a, a business, not a like a fast-growing company. If you want to build a business, I think that's a good approach. It's a good strategy. If you want to build a fast-growing company and that's your business model, which is, which is another business model, you need to come in and you need to be disruptive. You need to be like, Ah, that this like literally the reactions we got at the beginning about saying, "Hey, we're not a sales tool," or thinking about your prospect. Like, what are you guys even talking about? But you see that people it started resonating with people, and people are like, "Yeah, I I guess I've been there. I guess you're right." And we started like creating this big movement around this. Makes all the sense in the world. All the tools out there for salespeople were built for salespeople, but nobody thinks about the person who's actually shelling out the cash. And so, why can't their experience be better? Did you come up with the systematic approach later on as the company grew to test messaging? Because as you get to like, you know, loads more SDRs, loads more sales, we have to control for all that. So, so it's, it's the same thing we did with the, with the early process. I always had, and I think it's a great approach. I always had like a quote unquote SWAT team, right? My, um, the, the people that I like, the SDRs that I trusted, the more veterans ones, the, the sellers that I know are more successful, more agile, talking with product marketing. And we basically build an incubator, say, hey, this is a new way we want to go. Now, maybe a different way to look at this before is like, decide what you want to do, right? Every year, every quarter is a new a new thing for us, right? One quarter, you want to grow faster with your MQLs or SQLs. One quarter, you want to grow faster with your close one deals. And then you have this like annual contract value, the ACV, like always above you, right? Effectively, what I'm trying to say, you cannot do the same thing and expect to increase in different numbers, right? You always need to change. You always need to iterate, right? In order to create this new peak, right? Um, and, and that's the reason in my head and the team that I've built, I always had this swap in and I'm like, okay, next goal. Next goal, I want to increase ACV next, uh, by, by the next quarter. I want an increase on ACV by 10%. I can't talk the same talk track. This is a talk track that I'm suggesting. SDR, let's try and test it out, see if it actually resonates. Salespeople, here's it. Working together with product marketing. Here's a new deck, right? That's how you got to present those kind of things. And we kind of like always iterated, but the iterations wasn't because I wanted to do the iterations, right? It was always because I wanted to reach another peak, another level. And I knew that what I'm doing up to now serve this course and I need to change, right? I think at Walnut, um, three and almost four years, I changed 10 times the way I did the sales motion. And it was okay. It was like a muscle that I've developed. And I didn't think like all those big words, oh, we're pivoting. We're not pivoting. We're elevating. We're moving forward. There's a new peak. You can't do the same thing, reach the same like higher goals. 
okay, you created a SWAT team. It wasn't like you mobilized the entire company to do this. Like whole companies just completely change your messaging. Yeah. There's a small, close-knit group circle that you trusted that you can test. So really great. Adir, I know you got to go. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate the time. It was a great pleasure. Thank you.